Owning a home is still the American dream, but it comes with plenty of emotional and financial challenges. Join real estate broker Ron Evans each week as he shares the latest industry and local real estate market news through interviews with other agents and industry professionals. If you're confused about today's real estate market or just want to understand the home buying and selling process, this show is for you. Here's your host, Ron Evans. Well, how are you doing, everybody? This is Ron Evans, and uh, welcome back to my podcast and YouTube channel. If you've been following along for the last couple of months since I've gotten this ramped up, I appreciate you. If you're new, welcome. Go over a little housekeeping. Um, everything I talk about here, I cover information that's provided to me from other sources, and I just disseminate that information, give a little bit of my own translation, and I welcome feedback, questions, and comments. And when I get questions and comments, I do my best to answer those direct as well as through future um, podcast and YouTube episodes. So today is our Market Matters Monday. And if you're not familiar, Market Matters is just something that CAR, the California Association of Realtors, puts together for all of us agents here. And it includes links to articles that are just relevant to our industry. However, they're not just relevant to California. Um, a lot of these things are statistics and, and things provided that are applicable, I think, nationwide. And so I like to hear feedback from people just outside of California as well to see uh, what you see in your market that compares. It's always good to see other perspectives uh, from people within our industry. So with that, the basic format of today is um, I go through all of the articles that are provided to us this on a weekly basis from CAR. Um, there are usually four to six articles. I will read through the articles. If there's things to skip, I'll skip over. But um, I make sure I highlight at least the main points and go over um, any statistics, any numbers, um, data provided. Um, and we just go from there and have a good time. As always, you can drop a comment anywhere you are listening to this podcast or if you're watching on YouTube. You can also email me direct at realestate101 at ronevansrealty.com. You can uh, text me as well at 949-929-2270. Those are all great ways to get in touch with me, and I'd be happy to hear from you. Let's roll. Okay, I think we have six articles today to go through. First one is provided by the NAHB, which is the National Association of Home Builders, their Ion Housing newsletter. And it's titled Single Family Home Sizes Continue to Trend Higher. I did not know that that was the case, to be honest with you. I thought we were getting smaller, but uh, let's go through it. As expected, impact of the virus crisis is a need or unexpected impact of the virus crisis is a need for more residential space. This is a true story. As people use homes for purposes, including work. Aha. Introductory sentence gives me the key. Now I know where this is going and why they're going to trend higher. Recent data confirms this impact on the market continues to occur. According to the third quarter 2021 data from the Census quarterly stats or starts and completions by purpose and design. The NAHB analysis median single family square floor area increased to 2,337 square feet. Average mean square footage for new single family homes increased to 2,541. Since Great Recession lows, and on a one-year moving average basis, the average size of new single-family homes is now 6.2% higher at 2,518 square feet, while the median size is 9.3% higher at 2,296 square feet. Home size rose from 2009 to 2015 as entry-level new construction was constrained. Home size declined 
between 2016 and 2020 as more starter homes were developed. Going forward, we expect home size to increase again, giving a shift in consumer preferences for more space due to the increased use and roles of home for work and for study in the post-COVID environment. So if I look on here, um, the average, when it talked about the average floor area, okay, if I'm looking on this chart and I've got a graph in front of me here, and by the way, all of the articles that we talk about, um, if you look in the show notes or the description on YouTube, you will see the links to all these articles. You can look at everything yourself and disseminate for yourself the information. But if I'm looking at this, it looks like it has a 20 year or so um, average uh, or chart. And it looks like way back in like 2000, it was right around 2,200 square feet for new homes. That was the average. So we are up to 20, almost 2,600 square feet now. So in the last 20 years, it's gone up a decent amount. But like I thought, I thought we had declined um, where we're declining in square footage. And that's what this article does talk about here is from 2009 to 2015, um, the sizes rose, but from 2016 to 2020, and I entered real estate into tw in 2014. So this was relevant to me and why I was thinking that they were going down is that it was true. 2016 to 2020, um, because there was such a large demand and there was an explosion, sizes were getting smaller. Um, it's a lot like what we saw in the mid to late 2000s because there was another construction boom at that time where there was a lot of stuff going on. And um, uh, because there's a bigger demand, the home sizes actually get a little bit smaller because the developers only have so much land to build on and they're trying to pack as many homes and condos and everything into um, a finite space. So that's what we had seen the last four or five years until COVID. Um, by show of hands or by comments or whatever, how many of you impacted by COVID, as we all are uh, or have been, are now working from home permanently? Like you're never going back to an office or you've shifted to an entrepreneurial lifestyle that would require you never to go back to an office. That's the biggest reason, reason I see that um, home sizes will get bigger. Um, I think that you will see also in the resale market, I think you will see homes or people that they try to buy a home that is smaller in square footage, they may try to buy things that have more rooms or more rooms than they need. Like if it's just a, a three-person family that a normally a three-bedroom home would work out for them, they will look for a four-bedroom home now because they need home office space or they need home study space. Even though they don't have three or four children, um, they need the space for dual purpose reasons. So this is the first article I've seen that's addressing something like this on this level. Um, it will be interesting to see as we now go through the winter time and hit head into spring when everything ramps up in our industry, uh, new construction as well as resale, how this impacts that. So I hope that there are future articles on this that we can track and we can come back to. Okay, moving on to article number two. And this one um, is in the Orange County Register. It's from the Orange County Register. I don't know yet until we read through it if it is specific to Orange County or not. I have a feeling that it's not um, just based on the title and the subject matter, that it's not just to Orange County. Um, but this could just be a national article that was uh, published through the Orange County Register. And it is titled Single Women Outpace Their Male Counterparts in Home Buying. Who would have thought that? Experts attribute the four-decade trend to women being caregivers more often and valuing homeownership more than men. Let's dig into this one because this sounds pretty cool. Um, after a lifetime of living paycheck to paycheck as a single mom, Melinda Wolf resolved to invest in herself and buy a home. It didn't make sense to continue to pay 1900 to 2100 a month in rent when it goes out the window, Wolf said. She's 54 years old, 
She works out of her home for a health insurance company. I wanted to invest in myself. I wanted a piece of the American dream. So that's what we're still being told is that owning a home is still the American dream. Okay. Just a little side note. And people have that mentality. And I think that maybe more women have that mentality than men. It was anything but easy. The mother of two grown children got outbid on more than 10 homes as a Southern California home prices galloped upward by an average of 15% a year or about $1,600 a week. She soon got priced out of her target market in Eastvale, then in Murrieta. So Eastvale is not in Orange County and neither is Murrieta. Eastvale is over uh, near Corona, Riverside area, and Murrieta is near Temecula. So these are uh, areas where people tend, have been moving for years. Um, as If they've gotten outpriced in Orange County and LA County, they will move a little bit further inland, a little bit further east and commute if they have to commute. Now they are moving there because they can still get more bang for their buck, but they can work from home. So they don't even have to worry about the commute anymore. So she soon got priced out of her target market in Eastvale, then in Marietta. She finally had to move her home search out of state. This is another impact of COVID. Ultimately buying a brand new town home in Las Vegas. Her escrow is due to close December 17th. So we just talked about the effect of COVID on uh, new home builds and the size of them. Here's another effect of COVID. Um, we have more people, like we said before, that are going to be working from home forever. We've seen a lot of people moving into Orange County and Southern California from other places that are actually more expensive to live. Um, some places in the Pacific Northwest or maybe Northern California New York, other parts of the country where they don't like the weather anymore. But due to their companies allowing them to work from home permanently, they can now live wherever they want. They are no longer stuck at the, you know, oh, I have to be close to my office because I might have to go into the office. They no longer have to do that. Or if they do have an office requirement, it's very minimal. It's once a month. It's, you know, quarterly to come in for meetings or whatever. So they can just travel out of town for just those, those types of things. So this played into what uh, Melinda Wolf here in this article has to do. She's working from home now. She could now take her search out of state. Let's continue. If she succeeds in getting her new home, we'll find out on December 17th, I guess, when she's supposed to close, Wolf will become one of the latest in a long line of unmarried female homebuyers who have been outperforming their male counterparts in getting the, their piece of the American dream. Homebuyer surveys conducted by the National Association of Realtors over the past 40 years show single females have made up the second largest demographic among U.S. homebuyers since 1981 steadily overshadowing single men in the housing market. Realtors released their latest home buyers survey on November 11th, showing that in the year ending in June, so this is June of 2021, divorced, widowed, and never married women accounted for 19% of all U.S. home sales. Unmarried men only accounted for 9%. Not only are they outpacing, but it's a two-to-one margin. Single women are an absolute force in the housing market, said Jessica Lotz, NARS Vice President of Demographic and Behavioral Research. Women have been second only to married couples so far. <clears throat> so, um, I'm sorry. Women have been second only to married couples as far back as we have tracked it, which is impressive considering until the 1970s, women needed a co-signer for a credit card. There's the big change. A lot of you listening or watching may not even realize this, but there was a time in our country where a woman couldn't get a credit card, couldn't get a bank account, and couldn't buy a home or do anything like that financially without a co-signer, typically their husbands. A lot changed in the 70s for women's benefits that allowed them now to have a life independent of anybody else. And they are taking advantage of it, apparently. Although single women traditionally have lower incomes than single men, 
survey responses show they're more willing to cut personal expenses expenses to save for a home. Excuse me. Women are historic, historically more likely to believe their home is a better financial investment than stocks compared to men, Lutz said. They'll know what their house payment is going to be for the next 30 years, and that's incredibly important to women. Delaying marriage. NARA received 5,795 responses. So this isn't a small survey. From primary residence buyers who bought a home between July of 2020 and this past June. So in the survey that they're talking about, the one-year survey, they got almost 6,000 responses. And the home buyer survey was, conduct, is, was conducted periodically 11 times between 1981 and 2003. It has been done annually every year since 2004. Married couples have, ac- have accounted for the lion's share of home buying all 40 years since the survey began, although their f- share fell from a high of 81% in 1985 to just 60% this year. The share of homes bought by single men has changed little over the four-decade period and never got over 12%. So even though we're at 9% now, it's not like it's declining. It's not like, oh, single men used to be at 20% and it's flip-flopped with single women. It's just never been there for single men. Single men have just never had the motivation to be a homeowner on their own. Agents interviewed recently about the trend speculated that single women are more nurturing more likely to value the investment value of homeownership and are more likely to be raising children. Ding, ding, ding. Because of the nurturing aspect and the need to take care of family, we we realize there are things that need to be done to create more stability, said Long Beach real estate agent Crystal West, a single woman herself who bought her first home, a fourplex apartment building she shared with her tenants in 2002. Women value the stability of homeownership and the financial freedom it provides, she said. I always wanted a house, Wes said. Yes, you do it when you get married, but I wasn't going to wait. Manhattan Beach agent Amy Cementa said some of her single female clients were offended by the question about why they bought a home without a partner. Why wouldn't a single woman buy a home on her own, they asked. They're single longer, so they buy before they get married, said Cementa, an agent with Vista Sotheby's International Realty. I think it's more of a societal story that just reflects how old people are when they're getting married and having children now. All of those things are going up. It's true in my own life. I didn't get married to my mid-30s and have children in my late 30s. And I thought I was different when that happened, and I thought I was I felt like I was going to be out of place, but then I soon realized I'm not. It's definitely becoming more the norm. Demographic clues. Simple demographics provide some clues as to why more single home buyers are women. For one thing, there are more of them. Single women made up just over 25% of the U.S. population in 2020, while single men made up less than 23%. Census data shows it's not a huge gap, but it is a gap. But they say here, that's a gap of less than three percentage points compared with this year's home buying gap of 10 percentage points. Two other sets of statistics are far more telling. By a three to one margin, single women with children outnumber single men and widows outnumber widowers. One census report shows 76% of single parent households are headed by women, while 24% are headed by men. Households with children are more likely to become homeowners, said in August Urban Institute study into gender and home ownership. Another factor is women tend to outlive their spouses more often than men, creating a larger pool of buyers with past home ownership experience. The NARA data is consistent with findings of a 2020 study by the Yale School of Management. Co-author Kelly Shu said in an email, among single male and single female households with similar wealth, Women choose to spend more of their savings on house purchases, the study found. Single women are more likely to be caregivers of children and other family members and caregiving is easier if one lives in a house rather than an apartment. It's also possible that women on average prefer living in a house over renting. They want the stability. 
Local real estate agents point out, however, that single home buyers of either gender are rarer in Southern California because of the region's high cost of housing. Maybe, maybe. I mean, wealth and money is wealth and money. It doesn't, you don't have to be married to necessarily live here. It helps. Um, but because I see that there are more single women with careers that are um, uh, growing and going up the corporate ladder, so to speak, um, I don't know that that's, I think that gap is, is, is diminishing. Let's just put it that way. Christopher Foster says, I have not seen one single buyer, single woman or single man. And he's a broker for Foster Realty Group in Whittier. With the cost of housing today, you absolutely need two incomes. Again, I don't know about that. I think uh, my wife could go out and buy a home on her own if she had to. Knock on wood that nothing's going to happen to me anytime soon. But I think she could. The article goes on. Um, there's other points on here, but I think I'll wrap this one up. Definitely go in and read it. I would love to hear if you've experienced this yourself. I would love to hear. Um, and maybe if you are a single woman who has purchased a home, uh, maybe maybe you'd like to be a guest. I can interview you and ask you some questions um, on the show. And um, you know, maybe a couple of you. I think that would be great. I think that would be um, very informative for a lot of different people and maybe inspiring to people who um, are on the fence and are unsure about their situation. Maybe they feel like their situation is different from everybody else and hearing from others that have gone through it, they'll find out that it's not. Anyway, I love this. I'm actually, I'm a, I'm a father of two daughters. And so I love the fact that, um, that women in general are, are doing well. All right, wrapping that one up. Let's go on to the next article. And this one actually comes from CAR, the California Station of Realtors. But I don't think, again, that this one is just um, California related. Um, maybe it is, but we'll go over it. It's the FHFA raises 2022 Fannie Freddie loan limits. Okay, so this is definitely not just California related, but the statistics they talk about in here might be California related because the loan limits everywhere went up, <clears throat> but they might only be giving the numbers here for California. All right, the California Association of Realtors today issued the following statement in response to the Federal Housing Finance Agency's FHFA FHFA announcement to increase the 2022 conforming loan limits for mortgages acquired by Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac to $647,200 on one unit properties and a cap of $970,800 in high cost areas. The previous loan limits were $548,250 and $822,375 respectively. So they've gone up well, $100,000 in, in all areas, and in our higher areas, they've gone up $150,000, just about, just shy of $150,000. To put this into perspective, it used to be four, when I first started in real estate, I believe it was four eighty two. Was the was the regular loan limit size. So basically in, in markets in California, not including like LA, San Diego, Orange County, um, San Francisco, those areas that are higher, higher in areas used to be like 482 and it was six, 619, I believe right around there, 619, 620 in the higher area. So Orange County was like 620. Um, and then it bumped up to 637 and then 672. And then it went to 750 ish. 822 and now $970,000. So you can almost buy a million dollar home on an FHA product loan, meaning you'd only have to put three and a half percent down on an almost million dollar property in Orange County. That's nuts. But, and I'm not going to keep going through this because I'm just going to give you 
other information, but you can read this article in its in its entirety that kind of goes over it all. Um, because again, this doesn't this is not this the loan limits thing is not just applicable to California. They they raise the limits everywhere, uh, but the the limits are going to be different depending on the market that you're in. Um, and I've I've heard some people and I've read some other comments from people like, oh my gosh, who could afford a house the a house payment? If you buy a $900,000 house and you only put three and a half percent down on it, I mean, you're talking about a, you know, $4,500, $5,000 house payment. But what they're not also looking at is the cost of renting in these high cost areas of California as well. So it would not be unfathomable to find a three or four bedroom home in Orange County to rent. And the rent is going to be $4,500 to $5,000 a month. The rents have gone up astronomically. So if you can save $25,000, and buy a home, you can still pay about the same in your house payment that you would have to be paying in rent if you were forced to, to, to go rent. You lost your lease or, or what have you, or your, or your landlord just raised your rent. That's what a lot of people don't understand. So these loan limits going up, while it might seem insane to those on the outside, if you're here and you're boots on the ground, it's really not as crazy as it may seem because of the alternative cost of renting. Obviously, if you can put more than three and a half percent down, it will help you. Even if you were able to do 5% down, it would help you. Um, but, uh, but yeah. Basically, if you can afford the payment, you will be fine with these higher loan limits. If you can't afford the payment, then it might be kind of scary to think that um, you know you can qualify for something that you're not truly prepared for. As always, consult a really good lender. Have them do all the math for you look at your own budget and figure out if you can truly afford what it's what you're told you can afford on paper and you'll be fine to me this just this just gives more opportunity um there you go all right moving on article number four this comes from mpa And it is titled, Home Buyers Are Unmoved by Climate Change, a survey finds. Mortgage professionals need to pay attention as properties in high-risk areas will be uninsurable, warns CEO. I can see where this is going. And I'll give, I'm going to probably interject on here when I see a few things. All right. Most people do not consider the impact of climate change when it comes to buying a home or choosing its location, according to a new online survey by real estate tech startup Property Nest. With the recent COP26 climate summit fresh in most people's minds, Property Nest asked a total of 1,483 U.S. home buyers aged 18 and older whether they linked the impact of climate change with the safety of their properties and whether the location they chose was determined by the risk of flooding, rising sea level, or wildfires. The survey found that up to 64% of U.S. buyers did not factor in climate change at all in their choices. Out of that group, more than 33% admitted that it had simply not occurred to them, while almost 19% did not see how the issue was related to buying a home. More than 12% said they did not believe in climate change. That's a whole nother episode. By contrast, 10.6% considered climate change as one of the top priorities when making a property choice, although only 5.9% said it was the most important consideration. Ruth Shin, CEO and founder of Property Nest, said the most surprising aspect of the survey was that younger people weren't more concerned about the issue of climate change. The youngest home buyers were least likely to understand the connection to how it could have an effect on their home or its location. Ooh, I got something to say about that. Speaking to MPA, she said, we talked about Gen Z and Gen Y being the generations that are most concerned about climate change in the environment. 
this is the top issue of their generation, but they're not seeing how that actually translates to something like buying a home. However, she warned that extreme weather patterns were not only a reality, but they were going to get worse, adding that buyers should act in consequence. She said a lot of homeowners don't pay attention to some of the things that are happening to their home until there's a major event, until that big weather event occurs and you have destruction and damage to your home. Okay, that's all I'm going to read. I encourage you to come back through this on your own, but I want to give my own um, interpretation of this. Um, I live in an area here in Orange County that gets hit fairly regularly by wildfire. And over the years, it's become more and more difficult to get insurance, property insurance because of living in a, a wildfire area. Forget the fact that we're in California, we're on fault lines and everything else, and you have earthquakes to worry about. It's the actual wildfires that we have to worry about now. There are fewer and fewer insurance companies that will give you homeowners insurance in a lot of these areas. Now you can live, um, maybe your home is not technically in a wildfire area, or you don't think it is because maybe you're a half a mile away from like the bordering vegetation um, or whatnot, but it kind of goes by zip code uh, when they map it out. So there are some zip codes here in affluent parts of my Orange County that have a very difficult time getting fire insurance, getting, getting homeowners insurance. Um, and we have to call upon just I don't even say a handful of agents and companies. It's really only like one or two that can write the fire policies for them. Um, this is huge. Uh, people and people don't think about this at all uh, until, you know, they, they find their home. Maybe they fight like hell to get into that home to get their offer accepted. And now they're in escrow and they're doing all their inspections and they're looking over the HOA docs and the CCNRs, if there are any, and all this other kind of stuff. And then it comes down to like a week before closing and escrow is asking them for their insurance declaration. Oh, you know, <clears throat> excuse me, you know, they, it's not top of mind. And so at the very last second, they're trying to get insurance and they're calling maybe, maybe uh, they just sold a home and they call who they have their auto insurance through or who their previous homeowners insurance is through and they're denied, denied coverage and they're shocked. And a lot of these companies don't even know someone to refer you to because they don't live here. You know, they're, they're, they're talking to an 800 number. <clears throat> and then all of a sudden they're scrambling. Now you're supposed to close escrow on your big, nice home. Um, and in just a couple of days and you're scrambling to get property insurance, <laughs> we've seen it happen. And it's due to the wildfires. I can only imagine that when it comes to things, other things like flooding and whatnot, if you live in areas like that, that you were also encountering similar things because the losses and the claims, these things are happening more and more often. You know, 100 year floods are now 10 year floods, 15 year floods. And the losses that the companies are paying out on are so astronomical that they're dropping people and they're dropping coverage and they're not renewing coverage um, or taking on new coverage. It's the same thing with what we have here with the wildfires. They're happening more and more often and they just can't, <clears throat> they just can't uh, continue to, to, to bind the policy. So that's what we, that's what we see in the real world as, as real estate agents, as realtors. Um, I try to talk about that with my clients immediately because again, it's not top of mind. Now I do find it interesting here that the Gen Z and Gen Y um, who are our biggest up and coming home purchasers are not thinking about it because like this article states, we do know that that is their biggest like global platform is global warming. Um, global, not just global warming in the, or, or climate change, um, but also like, you know, cleaning up the ocean, the environment in, in general is 
these generations global talking point. So why they aren't thinking about it when they go to buy a home, I don't know. Um, maybe one of you is a, a Gen Z or Gen Y or a millennial or what have you, and um, you have some feedback on that. I'd love to hear from you and, and find out why it is you think that your generations are not thinking about this. Um, I don't know if it's just a, um, they're not thinking of all the fiscal ramifications of owning a home and buying a home, or is it just the in this the, the climate change and in, in insurance? Are there other other aspects, and I would like to see more data. It's not in this article. I've scanned through it, but I would love to see more data on are there other fiscal ramifications that they're not thinking of when they go to buy their home and they're closing on it, trying to close escrow. So I think this is a good subject to uh, to dive deeper into at some point. So um, I will see if I can find out more information on that. Okay, moving right along. This next article, article number five, comes from Realtor.com. Excuse me. And it's titled, Here's How Inflation is Affecting Home Prices, What Buyers and Sellers Need to Know Right Now. So this is a very up-to-date article, too. A lot of these articles are usually about a week or so behind um, when they're published. You know, so the, the ones, most ones we've gone over have been like the end of November. This is actually a, an article written in December, so it's very, very, very current. Um, Inflation is a red-hot topic right now for good reason. In October, the annual inflation rate rose to an alarming 6.2%. That's the highest it's hit since November 1990, over 30 years ago, and a steep uptick from the manageable 2% that we've enjoyed over the past five years. Translated to our daily life, this means Americans are shelling out more money for just about everything from gas for your tank to heating bills to groceries and more. Our money simply doesn't go as far as it used to. So what's the impact of on what's the impact of inflation on housing. Let's find out. Not surprisingly, inflation is influencing the real estate market in a big way too, according to a Stanford University study. The residential real estate, residential real estate has historically been, in, been an investment safe haven during inflationary periods. Researchers found that during the 1970s, another moment of surging inflation, home prices rose relative to the size of the economy. This was good news for homeowners and real estate investors since it meant that their home's rising value helped offset rising prices elsewhere. If you were shopping for a new home, though, this was a major challenge, and the same may hold true today. So <clears throat> pausing here, we're seeing that same thing today. Um, I think we're seeing like on a national level, 15 to 19% year-over-year -year, uh, home price growth, home value growth. That's far, if, even if inflation is at 6.2%, that's far outpacing uh, inflation. Typically, home prices range uh, anywhere from 3 to 4%. That's if you go back five years, six years, seven years, 3 to three to 5%. Here in Orange County, we've always been like 5%. We've been at the high end of that bubble. Um, so if inflation was at 2%, but your home value was going up three to 5%, you were making out pretty good. You were like two to one, right? Well, if inflation's at 6.2%, but your home value is going up by 19%, you're at a three to one. But that's if you already own a home. So I understand what this article is gonna get into now when it talks about the actual trying to buy a home. So let's get, let's get there. <clears throat> What is inflation and what causes it? Simply put, inflation is when the prices of goods and services rise, thereby decreasing the purchasing power of the money you have to spend. Right now, several factors are contributing to inflation. First, consider the impact of government aid during the COVID-19 pandemic. As the government supported American households and provided financial assistance that gave many people more purchasing power, explains George Ratio, manager of economic research at Realtor.com. But a lot of Americans could work remotely and didn't need to spend on, say, takeout lunches at the office, commuting and parking, dry cleaning, and other expenses. So companies on the supply side of those goods and services needed to charge more since they had fewer customers. <clears throat> As the number of transactions dropped, 
business owners raised their prices to stay afloat and make ends meet. This often happens during recessionary times. Another factor contributing to inflation today, the supply chain issues occurring around the globe. Again, it's not just here in the United States that we have supply chain issues. They are globally, no matter what people might try to get you to understand or listen to. Manufacturing was disrupted during the pandemic as illness and lockdowns slowed business, and there continue to be significant problems with goods getting into ports. The Los Angeles Long Beach area is one off-sited bottleneck <clears throat> with so many product, uh, products typically arriving there from Asia. Trucking those items across America once they arrive has also been challenging since there are fewer people available to drive 16-wheelers to get goods where they need to go. There is a huge worker shortage. Companies are raising wages to address that, but also consequently raising prices, says Lawrence Yoon, chief economist at the National Association of Realtors. So if a bathroom sink might normally sell for $100 when you have to pay your workers and drivers more, the manufacturer must raise prices to offset. Now, <clears throat> excuse me again. How does inflation affect home prices? Now that you understand why prices are painfully high, let's consider how that affects home prices. Even before inflation started rising, the housing market has been tight, very tight, with prices and rents climbing. Brace yourself because things are not headed in a more affordable direction anytime soon. This is true. Check out all my, my market updates videos and podcast episodes, and you're going to hear how the trend has been going on housing. Inflation exacerbates the housing demand supply imbalance, which means even higher prices for housing, explains Lawrence J. White, the Robert Kevesh Professor of Economics at New York University's Leonard N. Stern School of Business. People think, I need a hedge against inflation. Housing has just traditionally been a long-lived, durable asset. <clears throat> the more people jump into the housing market, the greater the demand, the lower the supply, and the higher the prices go. The air is already thin on this front, with home sales and median rents reaching record highs this year, says Ratio. White also says there's a serious zoning uh, construction problem throughout much of the U.S., making the market even tougher for people looking to buy and rent. Land use restrictions, whether the size of the lot that a single-family house can go on or for multifamily rental or condo property, is further restricting supply. Right explains. <clears throat> now, what does inflation mean? This would be the last section I cover on this article. What does inflation mean to home buyers and sellers? There's no doubt that strong inflation will affect home buyers' budgets. The majority of buyers tend to finance a home purchase, which means they need a down payment and then must apply for a mortgage. Assuming they have a down payment, the mortgage payment will, re will be the main determinant of what they can afford. It's not the price of the home, it's the payment. <clears throat> Says ratio. Mortgage rates tend to move in tandem with inflation, so mortgage rates will rise. The Fed has been a principal purchaser of mortgage-backed securities, but that will wind down by April 2022, driving rates higher. By late November, Freddie Mac rates went up to 3.10% meaning that today's buyers of a median price home will spend $160 a month more on their mortgage payment, which is a noticeable impact. For home sellers, the current tight market can be a good time to reap a profit, provided that post-sale they can find somewhere affordable to move. If the house you bought for $200,000 is now worth $300,000, that's terrific. But if you sell and want to stay in the area, can you afford to buy what you want or has inflation decimated your spending power? It's an important question to ask. <clears throat> okay, I'm going to stop there on this article. You can read the rest. It just talks about how long inflation lasts and things like that. Because I think this last paragraph here is the key. <clears throat> Folks, I apologize. I've had this tickle on my throat for like the last few minutes and I can't seem to remedy the situation. So you're going to have to just bear with me. I apologize. So this last paragraph here is the key in my opinion. So we have a, a resale housing shortage, which 
is what has a lot of the the bottleneck in our industry right now with so many home buyers and the and demand being so high, but so few homes available on the market. And this is why I think there are so few homes on the market. It's because even though today's home seller, that would be the typical home seller, the person ready to downsize, the person ready to move on to another chapter of their life or what have you, <clears throat> has a ton of equity. But unless they have a reason to leave the area that they are currently in, meaning they're ready to just move to another part of the country to be closer to family or they're retiring or what have you. Um, if they want to stay in the area that they're currently in, just because they have a ton of equity in their current home, they're going to blow through all that equity plus more to get into their next home if, they're, if they want to stay where they're at. And that's the biggest thing that this is talking about, how inflation is impacting it. If I have a home and I have a million dollars in equity <clears throat> and say I've got a 5,000 square foot home and I want to downsize, well, in my area, previously, if I had a million dollars in equity and I was looking to downsize, I could probably get a still a nice size home, maybe a single level home, single family home for that same million dollars. And it could be you know, I wouldn't be 5,000 square feet, but maybe 2,500, 3,000, which is what downsizing is, but I want to go to a single level home or whatever. Well, now you're going to have a hard time finding that. <clears throat> you're going to be looking, you have a million dollars in equity. You might be looking at more of a condo or townhome or having to move further away from um, where you are um, and having to deal with a commute or whatever. So that's, the biggest thing that's impacting this right now is the inflation issue. That's how it's impacting housing. If we can figure that out, that will grease the wheels and get our industry moving again. Okay, last article. Hopefully I can get through this one. Again, I apologize. And this is from CNBC, and this is usually the last type of article on uh, these market matters when they come out is a finance article. And that's what this one is. Again, it's from CNBC, and it's mortgage refinance demand plunged 15% last week, but could now reverse. And on this, um, I usually just give like the bullet points because I'm not a mortgage person. So it's not really my expertise in interpreting, but I want to make sure that the information is available to you. Um, you can read and extrapolate on your own. So last week, the average rate on a 30-year mortgage with, with conforming loan balance of $5,488,250 or less increased to 3.31% from 3.24%. The rise in rates caused applications to refinance a home to drop 15% for the week. Mortgage applications to purchase a new home rose 5% for the week. So the article goes on to talk about <clears throat> the rise in interest rate caused refinance applications to lower, and that, that's a direct correlation. But also the rise in interest rate caused applications to purchase a new home to rise 5%. And if you go back to the inflation article and some other things that we've talked about on the podcast over the last few weeks and months, you'll know that if interest rates, if and when they do go up, if they do tick up slightly and incrementally um, from point A to point B and they have stops all on the way, that will also stimulate housing. Um, and it will stimulate people to go ahead and sell because It will stimulate um, housing because sellers who have been trying to time the market, right, that with these artificially low rates, thinking that they haven't bottomed out yet, will finally see that they have bottomed out and they're going to go up and now they're going to get stuck. And if they were on the fence of moving at all, it's going to stimulate those sellers to go ahead and put their homes up and make their move. <clears throat> How long that will affect our housing market uh, in, a, in an increase, who knows? But that is one way that, that will help it go up. 
Um, what this article does go on to talk about, though, is that come uh, first quarter, we might see these rates drop a little bit again, and that's why the refinance applications may tick back up. So that's that one in a nutshell. Again, I'm not a huge finance person. I do understand the numbers, but I'm not always the, the best person to interpret everything. So I leave that up to you. I just want to make sure that because I received it, I want to make sure that I am disseminating it to you. And again, you guys can click on all these links to all these articles on your own, read them at your leisure, and please submit your questions. Thank you for fighting through this episode with me. I don't know what's going on with the tickle in my throat. And again, I apologize. <clears throat> I try to be pretty real with uh, how I present everything. Might not be the most polished uh, publication out there, but um, you know you're getting the real me, very authentic. Um, no fluff, no holds barred. And I just kind of give you my opinion and whatever my opinion's worth is what it's what it's worth. <laughs> so again, I appreciate you tuning in. If you have questions and comments, please leave them um, in the comments on the podcast that you're listening to or on YouTube, and I will get back with you. You can also email me direct at realestate101 at ronevansrealty.com or send me a text message at 949-929-2270. I would love it if you like what you want to hear and you want to get updates in a timely manner, please subscribe on YouTube, subscribe to whatever podcast you're on. If you're on uh, Apple or Spotify or whatever, I know I'm on pretty much every platform out there. Please subscribe. I would very much appreciate it. And uh, if you have any other feedback other than just like a question or comment on the content, I would love to hear from you as well. Take care and God bless. folks i appreciate your continued support if you haven't already done so please don't forget to subscribe and share this podcast with your friends leave your comments and questions below and i'll get back to you when i can have a great day see you soon